and welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Uh, I'm Dustin Zarni again, and on behalf of the United Democrats of Onondaga County, uh, we're doing this weekly chat with activists and candidates uh, in Onondaga County to talk about election matters and other things that are happening around. Uh, so uh, this is our third installment, and we're going to be speaking with Jared Berg, who is the founder of Vote Early New York. and. Uh, an incredible activist who's been working on uh, early voting uh, since the concept of early voting started in New York. And uh, his organization is dedicated to uh, bringing about publicity and, uh, uh, and, and holding boards of elections accountable, um, which is uh, you know something that I think is very uh, much needed in our state. And uh, Jared's done a great job. So I was, I'm happy to have him because this Weekend is the start of early voting once again in New York State. It's part due of early voting. Uh, we uh, had our first early voting uh, segment last year in the November election, and now we will be doing early voting for the primary election on June 23rd. You may recall that the primary has had some ups and downs this year. As we had an April 28th presidential primary uh, that was um, postponed, then canceled, then put back on, and it's now on for June 23rd, and that is combining with our local primary. Uh, and, uh, and while there is uh, extended uh, uh, use of absentees for this primary, as Governor Cuomo put out a executive order allowing people to get an absentee under temporary illness, uh, if they don't want to travel to the polls, there is still in-person voting and will be in-person voting uh, this year. And, in, and, and that will also mean early voting. Early voting starts on, on Saturday and runs for nine days uh, up until the Sunday before election. In Onondaga County, those early voting hours are 10 to 3 on Saturday and Sunday. And on the weekdays, we are 10 to 6 on Monday, Thursday, and Friday and noon to eight on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. We have six sites in Onondaga County uh, at uh, the Clay Highway Department, uh, You uh, also at the Camillus Fire Station, uh, Syracuse Community Connections, the old Southwest Community Center on the south side of Syracuse, Lafayette Fire Station, DeWitt Town Hall, and the Armand Magnarelli Center uh, at McChesney Park. As always, I always tell you to go to our website, uh, at the Board of Elections at onvote.net. Uh, this is a place where you can get a lot of information. I'm gonna share my screen uh, so you can see it. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of information here, uh, right here on our early voting information it has all of our early voting uh, sites, times, uh, where you can go. Uh, and if you go to our maps, you can see a nice little, uh, a little map that we have here of all of our sites. One of the great things about this year is that I think we have a little bit more of a, a spread out sites in Onondaga County, uh, whereas Camillus Fire Station used to be up here in Van Buren Town Hall. It's now on the west corner and I think the people in the western suburbs are a little bit better. Um, we are still at the minimum uh, sites of uh, six uh, and uh, for the primary, although yet, to be seen what's gonna happen for the general election. But uh, for the primary, we're at these six sites with these hours and uh, we're really excited to get that. However, if you do want an absentee, there is still time. Give us a call at 315-435-VOTE 
or go to onvote.net again and you can email your absentee in. Uh, we, the deadline is Monday uh, the 16th. You have to have your application either postmarked or in our office by then for us to guarantee that we will mail you out a ballot. And we've had over 30,000 absentee ballots. And to put that into perspective here in, in Onondaga County, that is more absentee requests than we've had in the last seven primaries combined. So all primaries in 2016, 17, 18, and 19, all of those primaries combined, we've had more requests now than we've had. And we've had you know, over uh, almost 12,000 absentees of those 30,000 have already been returned. So um, one of the things that we're reminding people is election night is gonna be different. Uh, yes, we have early voting. Yes, we have in-person voting. And we will re release those results on election night on June 23rd. But it's more than likely we're not going to have uh, a large amount of, uh, uh, you know, a large enough returns on election night to overwhelm the absentees that have come in. So we may not know winners until July 6th or 7th because we can't even open absentees until July 2nd because we do a statewide cross check on July 1st to make sure nobody votes twice and then we start opening the absentees and it's going to take a quite a time to get through that many absentees and this is every county in New York. Um, people have to get used to that this isn't just election day anymore it's election week and with early voting it's election two weeks so uh, or three weeks maybe by the time we get the absentees in. So. Uh, that's kind of my housekeeping spiel here in Onondaga County, but I want to get right into our guest. Uh, Jarrett Berg is uh, the uh, founder of Vote Early New York. You were also with the New York Democratic Lawyers Council. Is that correct, Jarrett? That's right. Can you hear me okay? And one of our earlier guests was Liza Abraham, who's uh, your successor at the uh, NYDLC, and uh, uh, she has great things to say about you. Thank you very much, Jared, for making the time to come in on Zoom with Zarni here. Um, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about Vote Early New York and what, you, what you're up to and what you're hoping to do in 2020? Sure. Thank you, Dustin, for uh, having me on the show. Are you able to hear me okay? Absolutely. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Uh, so uh, I am the co-founder of Vote Early NY. We built this out uh, starting last spring when it became apparent uh, that New York was finally about to begin uh, the first voting reform that we've seen in generations. Uh, prior to my stint with NYDLC, I worked in the state ledge for a couple of years uh, on several voting reform bills, uh, including an early voting bill that was not ready for prime time and didn't have the vote to pass uh, at that time either house, we will say. Uh, so uh, this bill, this law has come a long, long way, uh, but based on uh, the experience of advocates working in New York on voting reform and also voter protection for several years, uh, we knew that coming into 2019, we would have uh, sort of a fresh and fleeting opportunity to begin to reform New York's election laws, but that you can pass a decent pro-voter bill in Albany. And this law is a very decent pro-voter bill. Uh, but then it still has to trickle down to 62 counties or 58 boards uh, for implementation. And so much of our, uh, of our voting rights, of the election law, is sussed out on the local, uh, county, and even uh, more municipal level uh, that we knew it was critical to have an effort focused on implementation uh, to make sure that the law was implemented in the letter and spirit with which it was enacted. 
uh, and that several of these related reforms, whether it's portability, uh, some of the reforms to vote by mail that we're now seeing uh, starting or, or happening in 2020 by executive fiat uh, and some legislative action, that these things really are implemented in a way that it benefits uh, and empowers the voters that they're intended for. That's great. Uh, and I, I just want to share the screen here again, uh, because you have an incredible website. It's a great resource. That's Vote Early New York, um, which uh, uh, here it is. Oh, there it is. Uh, and it's a great website. If you go there, uh, you can see where your, what your county is. So anywhere's in New York State, see what their early voting information is. And what I found great about this is you're showing the different variations in early voting. And uh, it looks a lot more green than it did last year. Maybe we can talk about the evolution of that. But, uh, you know, a lot more uh, counties are doing countywide early voting centers. But there are still some, and of course, down in New York City, where there are assigned uh, early voting sites. Um, and uh, then uh, Albany County is a, a little varied. Uh, but they have a, they have a countywide site and uh, assigned sites. Is that right, Jared? That's right. And we've done our best to try to make this information clear to voters. Um, thank you for the compliments on the website. Uh, I guess, and, and mentioning vote centers is a, a beautiful place to start. Uh, on some of the policy stuff. Um, I will start by saying that there is no reason why my website needs to exist uh, if we had a state board of elections that was properly funded and did what people sort of expect a state board would do, uh, a level of oversight and putting out sort of standardized communications about what people's rights are, what the rules are around our elections. So uh, you did mention the vote centers. We do try to provide for as a clearinghouse function, uh, an educational function for voters, the public, elected officials, policymakers, uh, to be able to see, well, what is early voting like uh, in 62 counties? And what counties, where are they at in terms of implementation? Uh, Dustin, I am as proud as you are that that screen is so, so green. Uh, if you had asked me 12 months ago, how long would it take for the bulk of the state to get to vote centers? I was very concerned that uh, only the tiny counties that were required to have one site would have vote centers and that the other counties would take a very long time implementing this law as intended. Um, I do want to give a shout out to administrators, to yourself, to your colleagues, both sides of the aisle, to the folks who work at these boards of elections. This, the past, uh, we'll call it 12 weeks, putting aside the last 18 months, has been an, an, a head-spinning uh, whiplash experience for all of us, frankly, the fact that you still have his hair is a credit to you. Um, but uh, I'm losing a little. It's starting to go. It's right here. <laughs> between, a, between a whiplash of executive orders and uh, I think over 50 major changes to the election law last year and several more sprinkled on this year, uh, administrators and, 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 uh, and poll workers are grappling with a ton of change. Uh, and so one thing we wanted to do is make sure that we had a resource that made it very clear where counties were at on implementation. Uh, there are certainly some technical challenges, which this law uh, takes into account, uh, that larger counties um, fairly do have when they encounter uh, a sweeping reform that ultimately changes what it means to be, uh, to, to be a voter. Right now, or going into this process, right, voters were assigned to one site, they could vote on one day. That is the way election administration traditionally has been. 
So moving to a system where people can vote at multiple sites uh, that are open for several days, it's a dramatic change. Uh, and we're trying to work with counties to identify what are the technical hurdles uh, to the extent there are legitimate technical hurdles, and then how can we work through them and get that info to the public. So, Jared, what are you seeing as the major difference? We kind of touched on vote centers, um, and that's uh, to the layperson out there. That means that you can go to any site within the county to vote, um, and the, a more extensive use of vote centers than last year. But what are some of the other things, whether it's good or bad, that uh, that you're you're finding out like that has come about between last November and this June? So I think to start with the top line is exactly right. So this new law, um, this new law requires that counties make sure that every voter can access every early voting site in the county, uh, except in two technical uh, temporary exceptions to that, uh, that have to do with implementation. One of them is if you can't make sure that voters can only vote once during the early voting and election day period, that's a good reason to assign sites. We agree with that. It's incredibly important that voters, uh, that, that elections be fair, uh, that processes be secure, and that voters can only vote twice. So that was a baseline. Everyone agrees with that. Uh, the second one is making available the ballot styles to all voters. Uh, and in a large jurisdiction, whether it's New York City uh, or, or, you know, voters that have counties, jurisdictions that have a million voters or so, there are so many ballot styles, plus you add the Voting Rights Act language requirements to that, uh, that we understand uh, that it's a, a bigger technical lift for any voter to be walking to, to be able to walk into any site, and that, that that poll workers, those staff, are able to produce that voter's ballot relatively instantly, uh, which uh, is alleviated in the counties that have adopted uh, countywide vote centers uh, through ballot on demand printing. Uh, so at this point, that is most counties in the state, uh, and really there is no other exception to that. Uh, to, so, so when fully implemented, this law requires countywide vote centers. On the plus side, um, what this law does is set uh, minimum standards of civil rights access. So it has a minimum hours requirement. It has a minimum requirement of sites uh, per 50,000 voters. There are caps on that, and you can't go belong, but below one site per county. Uh, but since you asked some of the things we're seeing, uh, again, that I've been pleased and impressed with, uh, is that somewhere in, in 2019, I, I want to say 18 or 19 boards of elections both had more than the 60 hours required by the law and more sites uh, than were required by the law. That's big counties and small counties, blue, red, and purple counties. Uh, I see uh, former Commissioner Martin on the call. Uh, uh, Columbia County was a county that was only required to have one site, uh, but chose to have three last year. There were several others. Uh, Chautauqua was in that, that camp, Cayuga as well. Uh, and then larger counties like Erie uh, that was technically required to have seven, but put up 37. Like Nassau that was technically required to have seven, but put up 15. Uh, we see Monroe expanding their plan even into this primary. Uh, so we were very pleased to see that counties viewed those provisions as the minimum safeguards that they are and didn't feel the need to only do what the law requires, not an inch further. And of course, this is a process where commissioners have to agree. So uh, that does create a situation where uh, not every county might be able to go as far as they'd like. So one of the things that I think uh, my colleagues and I uh, across the state were disappointed in, and part of that is the uh, incredible budget crunch that 
New York was facing even before the COVID crisis so that is going on is um, the early voting funding, the, uh, uh, the able localities funding that came out in 2019, which made this expansion of early voting in some of these counties possible, uh, was eliminated, obviously, in this year's budget. Um, and some of that is offset a little bit by the CARES grant, the federal CARES grant that is out there right now. But even then, you know, that's really covering more absentee costs and the expanded costs there more than early voting costs. Um, do you, how, what is your view on funding? What, what is your view on what New York's role should be in funding early voting or should this be left up to individual counties? Uh, just off the bat, it is preposterous that we would leave this critical function up to counties to pay for. Uh, you get what you pay for. I'm a big advocate for election funding. Uh, it's only the fate of the free world. And uh, can you put a value, a dollar for dollar value on the price of democracy? For me, uh, little d democracy is priceless. It's under attack globally. So uh, the state should be properly funding our election administration. Uh, and that money needs to make its way down to counties. I also think there's an expanded role for the state to play on setting uniformity so that we don't have 62 answers to the question of who can apply and how do you apply for an absentee ballot, for example. So uh, looking at the future of early voting, um, and uh, well, you know what, before we go there, let's talk about the present a little bit, because I think a lot of uh, voters that I've talked to um, wonder why early voting is still happening or happening for a primary when we have this expanded absentee. So what's the benefit of early voting, uh, even with this expanded absentee that's out there? What's the benefit for the voter, the benefit for democracy itself? So one thing that uh, I've been struck by the past few months, uh, we are so fortunate that the legislature and the governor enacted early voting last year, because I don't see a world where that would have happened this session, given uh, just what we were all hit with, and given that New York was the epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic in the US. Uh, so early voting is a tool in the toolkit. And I, I mention it that way because when we were describing the rationale uh, for why early voting would be desirable, one of them was always to reduce the density and pressure that occurs when you have, when you tell millions of people, you have this fundamental right, it's really important, but you restrict them to one day one location to exercise it. And that day starts at six in the morning and you have staff that works only a few days a year uh, with limited resources, limited training. Uh, and we expect that everything's gonna go perfectly at six in the morning. I've always been shocked that there weren't more problems on election day. Uh, and as someone who staffed these voter hotlines and dealt with boards in those crazy, crazy weeks before an election, uh, if it ever made sense as good policy to restrict voting to a single day, it certainly doesn't in the modern world. Uh, so folks on, that tune into your broadcast, I'm sure they know New York was not the first state to enact early voting. Texas has been voting early since the 80s. This is not a blue thing. This is a thing that benefits voters across the board. Uh, in a bright red place, you should assume more bright reds will vote early and vice versa. Uh, and we've seen that to be the case. Uh, but, but during a pandemic, when we know, when we've been told, stay in your homes, social distance, don't go to places you don't have to go, avoid crowds. Uh, I can tell you that in four or five boroughs in New York City in 2016, the top incident of the day 
was long lines at poll sites. And not long lines like half an hour, long lines like two hours or more. So in order to avoid that, the only way to avoid that when you have millions and millions of people taking concerted action is to spread that out over several days. That allows us to identify tiny problems that might occur the minute the polls open this Saturday. But how, how does that impact the voter? Well, boards have eight more days of early voting plus a day off plus election day uh, to resolve that. Voters have more time. So there's less systemic stress. There's more time to resolve those. And I realize I just described the Monday before your Tuesday as a day off. It is not. It might be a day off for early voting. But the point is, it gives administrators far more time to eliminate the small problems that cascade into bigger problems. So in this moment of pandemic, uh, there's a reason why advocates were pushing to expand early voting, uh, because uh, de-densifying the election day program is the entire goal. That's why we uh, expanded vote by mail to give folks that option so they need not appear in person at all due to this pandemic illness that's spreading in our community. Uh, and early voting is part and parcel to that. So this would be the dead wrong time to contract the early voting plan. One of the, one of the things that I think might be, uh, you know, something that we uh, look at in the future is how early voting is, um, you know, pushing the technology to give us uh, better technology and, and, uh, and, and that the boards of elections, you know, are, are getting used to this we should think about expanding the vote center concept to election day. We see Texas um, experimenting with that this year. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, so in what I would say, Vote Early NY's first, uh, first sort of appearance at a board of elections meeting last year it was a city board meeting. They had just announced that they were starting to put together sites uh, and I got up and said to Mike Ryan, we hope that one day the election day model will start to look a lot more like the early voting model. Uh, and I am a big proponent of vote centers. I think the concept of single location assignments, uh, again, might have made sense at a quieter horse and buggy sort of time, uh, but physical presence matters less and less. The concept of Zoom is here to stay uh, to the extent it wasn't prior to a pandemic, uh, but, but it just aligns with people's uh, everyday expectations that they're not limited to threading that needle to one specific place. And of course, if you appear anywhere else at any other school, any other poll site, it's being administered by the same board. It's the same contest for the most part, uh, but you can't do anything there. And if you cast a ballot there, it's totally voided. I mean, this just departs from people's expectations. Uh, it's not good due process. Um, and unfortunately, it's a model where there's so many little trip ups and hurdles and pitfalls uh, that should a voter not do everything perfectly, their entire ballot is basically burned. Uh, so I think we do need to move to a vote center's model uh, if we had for election day. If we had that in place, it would make the consolidation plans uh, that boards are dealing with right now uh, a little easier. And I think you could have a less sprawling footprint, better resourcing at the sites you do have. Yeah, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that, uh, obviously uh, the COVID crisis makes everything harder. But one of the things that is made harder uh, uh, in, in every board, my board, every board I've talked to, is inspector crunches. And, uh, and if we had more of a vote center model, we could have less polling sites um, and uh, have more um, of, of a, you know, you still have to 
you worry about urban centers and 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 sprawled out rural places. You don't want people to have to drive too far to get to their their voting site. But if you had more vote center models, or even a sporadic mix where you had like, you know, 30 vote centers throughout the county, and then you could reduce 30 other, uh, you know, and then you could have all, also assigned vote centers too. You could do a mix. You don't have to do either or. And, uh, you know, that, that would solve some of the budget crunches that uh, boards of elections are resolving because we would need less inspectors. And, th and then we could use those resources for, oh, I don't know, outreach, <laughs> you know, something that we never have any money for. So, um, you know, that, I, I'm glad to hear you say that because I, that's something that I, I would love to see us push towards um, in pat once we get past 2020. Well, so, and I'm glad you mentioned outreach. Uh, and this does go back to funding. Um, and you asked me initially, so why build out Vote Early NY? I answered initially, my organization doesn't, shouldn't exist. The, the website's function doesn't need to exist. Uh, there was not a penny put in that initial uh, budget for public engagement. That was specifically intended to tell the public, uh, you know, there's a whole new regime here. You have a whole expanded set of rights. There are all these additional days. So the question becomes, right, if a tree falls in the forest, how does the public know, right? Uh, not to confuse my metaphors, but so you build this incredible program. Will they come? Well, the first part is, do they know about it? Do voters even know about this new access? Uh, and putting aside what happens during primaries and stuff with incumbents, um, I think it's incredibly important that there be a public component to people knowing about uh, their new access rights. So that's part of what we focused on is getting that information into a clear format. Uh, the law itself, it requires boards to have a communication plan, but it doesn't really uh, compel them to do anything on social media. Uh, you can take a look at the various county websites and they, they vary dramatically. Some counties uh, before this week, you wouldn't even know there was early voting. Some counties before yesterday, you wouldn't know there was early voting. Other counties have had incredible quality information up on their websites for weeks and months. They have beautiful gra uh, uh, graphics like you've designed. Ulster County's put together some great graphics. Nassau County leaned in pretty hard last year and had some beautiful graphics. Uh, but it really runs the gamut. You know, if you're a voter in Yonkers, you have to synthesize three different PDF spreadsheets buried on Westchester Board of Elections website right now to figure out where you can vote early on Saturday. Uh, and I think their postcards might have went out yesterday. So, uh, you know, this varies dramatically. It'd be nice if there was state money uh, that trickled down to localities, maybe even a contest where, hey, county, come up with the, the best ad, the best graphic, the best whatever, and you'll get some sort of innovation award for that. Uh, public policy, we know how to do this stuff, uh, but the state does need to lean into that. So, um before I get into see if anybody on the on the uh, call has any questions, um, uh, just one final thing: Where do you see early voting? You know, how how is early voting interacting with the COVID crisis? What have you heard from other boards? What are they doing to protect voters? To are are they losing sight because of the COVID crisis? Um, or, or uh, you know, and, and how is this going to be affected in November, where we all expect a resurgence of uh, the COVID, um, you know, pandemic, you know, a lot of experts are expecting that 
just in time for late October, right? When we're starting early voting in the highest turnout election in our generation, probably. So, uh, you know, what do you see counties doing? What do you think they should be doing uh, to help uh, combat the COVID issue? So I want to answer that in two ways, of course. Uh, the first is I am very worried about the impact of a public health emergency or any state of emergency vis-a-vis -vis our civil rights. Traditionally around the globe, when there's uh, a public emergency, uh, it, it allows, it gives the authorities uh, this sort of blanket power uh, and just inevitably civil rights tend to get crunched in that environment. Uh, to uh, New York policymaking uh, leadership, and, and to their credit, uh, this governor um, has expanded voting uh, as this emergency has unfolded. We can point to more than six, uh, even more executive orders where he's taken voting rights into account. Uh, that said, it is dangerous to govern by executive order. Uh, an executive order does not contain the nuance that's included in legislation or regulations. Uh, in the absence of some real leadership from the state board uh, to put down regs and fill in those blank spaces, uh, it does permit the opportunity for meddling. Uh, we've seen a little bit of meddling. Uh, on, the, on the plus side, uh, there are actually more early voting sites declared uh, for this coming uh, June, and we presume November, than there were last year. There's actually more raw hours just in the aggregate, so that's a good thing. But uh, where we were really, uh, when we started this year as Vote Early NY and uh, our, our, we're a member of the Let New York Vote Coalition, uh, we were hoping to sort of grow, right? Expand the map. That whatever was put down in 2019, which of course is the third year, the quieter year in the four year cycle, that was sort of the test phase, that that would be the floor. And that from there, the programs really would expand. Uh, of course, you know, dicking, dickering around with the hours on the margins to make those more responsive to voter needs. We anticipate all that consolidations need to happen when and where they do. Uh, but uh, I do believe that COVID and the hysteria that came along with it, uh, much of which was warranted, did give counties the, the opportunity to contract their plans. Uh, and also the fact that it's a primary, the state board passed a rule at the uh, beginning of the year allowing counties to reduce their plans during primaries. Uh, they already had that power. I'm not sure that rule was necessary. Uh, but you can take a look at Dutchess County's plan to see one that went from five to two uh, sites, and they'll be required to have three again in the fall. Uh, I mentioned earlier Ulster County, uh, they're required to have two sites. They had seven last year. Uh, they're now down to, I believe, three sites. We expect that'll go back up to the fall. But it's not a good precedent, and it's not a great practice to be contracting and expanding your plan. It confuses voters. Uh, and frankly, it's a lot harder uh, to get beyond those minimum legal thresholds if commissioners are agreeing during one year to reduce it and then expand it. Uh, so I am concerned about that. And we have seen uh, some retrogression into the primaries by certain counties, uh, but others have really gone further. Um, and other counties that were planning to expand, uh, they put that planned expansion on hold. Um, I'll mention, uh, I know Nassau was planning to go bigger than they went last year. They have a plan that maintains those 15 sites, which is a good thing during the pandemic that we're not losing ground. But to be sure, uh, a pandemic is a dangerous time for voting rights across the board. Uh, the vote by mail access is critically important. Uh, but again, I mean, this is brand new for New Yorkers. 
Uh, so we don't build it overnight. The reality is uh, it takes a decade to become one of those states that has 50% plus uh, early voting turnout. We have to grow that culture of early voting. It's not just going to happen because we put the sites out there. It certainly won't happen if we don't tell anybody about their new access rights. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, media uh, in some... Uh cajoling uh, from the other side about the lack of early voting turnout last year uh, in, in its first year, let alone there was a lack of turnout period in 2019, although uh, a higher turnout than a corresponding year of 2015. And, and early voting had a lot to do with that. And the publicity around early voting had a lot to do with that, in my opinion, as well. But to, you know, last year, early voting dwarfed absentee voting, uh, you know, and, and so um, it was the second best way for people to vote last year in New York in its first year. Uh, and now I, I don't think that that will be the case this year with the absentee rules, at least for the primary. Uh, we don't know what the rules are going to be for the general election yet, um, you know, and uh, so we do expect early voting to be a little bit less in the primary. But, you know, in, in a normal year, in its first year, there was a lot of people who early voted and these were people that were absentee voting before and maybe absentee voting illegally, you know, or at least under this, the, the strict interpretation of the law that they were in the county and they could vote on election day. They just didn't want to and they wanted to vote early and, and vote and, and a lot of times they would fill out absentees. We saw absentees skyrocketing right before the implementation of early voting and then absentees cratered last year. Hmm. And now absentees are higher than they've ever been because of the COVID crisis. So I think people need to look at it in, in total. Like all of, there is no panacea. Uh, there's nothing that's gonna increase turnout on its own, but early voting, expanded absentees, better poll sites on election day, this is all going to help, you know. Um, and people have to look at it as a, as a whole plan, not as a single point. So there's uh, so many issues wrapped up in, uh, in what you just said. And I think uh, I'll take a shot at unpacking a couple of them. Um, the first is uh, convenience, right? Basic convenience, meeting people's modern commercial expectations. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that hasn't changed yet around voter registration. Uh, so when we talk about voter turnout, it's a very complex formula uh, that I'll take a shot at in a moment. Uh, but, but when you discuss these options, I think the place to start is what are people's options, right? Just because uh, we give people options doesn't mean they'll avail themselves of it, but convenience is a major factor. Uh, and the way people run companies, the way people run their websites, they design, if you're selling a product, right? The, the more click-throughs and screens that someone makes you go through, they know. Literally, like, if we add this screen, we'll get this percent of drop-off because people have limited attention span. People are busy. Uh, so the more hurdles we put up, we know that makes it harder for people to vote. As you move down the income and education ladder, people have less, less flexibility. Uh, they have less ability to go through these hurdles and hoops. Uh, we see that around the country with voter registration, strict rules, and, and ID laws. Uh, but with respect to early voting in New York, it is one of three options. Uh, at least for this year, uh, and it might revert back for a little while to be one of two options, but I'm going to venture to guess that in the long run, vote by mail in New York will prove a popular option. Uh, we will still always need in-person options. Some people prefer that, but this is about expanding people's options and their access. 
so that's the first part. Yes, early voting turnout was kind of low in 2019, but compared to what and on what sort of basis, right? So if the comparison is just raw, how many people voted in 2015 and voted in 2019, as though nothing else changed in our politics during that time, well, if that were the measure, which of course it really can't be, then it was an overwhelming success. But by any measure, uh, it was successful because if you just say, who are the people beyond absentee voters uh, who voted in 2019, who did not vote at all in 2015? Well, you know, you could, there was no early voting in 2015. There was no uh, automatic vote, uh, uh, universal vote by mail, as you mentioned. So you could surmise that every single voter who participated in 2019, uh, not on election day, who didn't vote absentee, uh, that, that, so that, that's a measure of success. Look, I'm here to say it's not apples to apples. 2019 is a different electorate from 2020. 2019 is a different electorate from 2015. Uh, when Barack Obama is in the White House and uh, you have a very different Justice Department, there are different motivations for people who decide to vote in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. We've seen that across the country. We've seen that uh, to, to serious effect uh, with the balance of power in various uh, statehouse chambers, for example. Um, so that's sort of one point. On turnout, just because it comes up all the time, I do just want to point out that the relationship between increasing access to a lot of these reforms and increasing turnout, it's not an equal sign, right? We can create greater access, but I view that that's a prerequisite to voting. People still need a reason to get up in the morning, get out there uh, and go vote for a candidate. To me, it's a much more complex relationship. I call it the six C's of civic engagement, uh, compelling candidates, competitive contests, collective concern, right? And those different factors, it sounds kind of pretty, but if you think about it, someone still needs to feel like they have skin in the game, uh, like there's something that hangs in the balance and like they have a stake in the outcome, that there's something going on around us, there's a movement, there's something to, to dive into. So I will just say that if you look at what was on the ballot in 2019 compared to 2020, you can't really look at nine days in 2019 with no promotional budget uh, from the state on down and gauge the success or failure of this program. Let's get every county to implement this law properly. We're still several counties short of that. Uh, let's get a proper promotional budget, teach people that they have these rights and encourage them to use them. And uh, let's see how this looks in a few years. Great, well, uh, there's a couple people on the call. If uh, they wanna ask any questions, I invite them to do so. Now I'll unmute the lines and uh, uh, so, uh, but it, uh, Dr. Martin, did you wanna ask a question? Um, sure, with regard to early voting, that's in-person voting obviously, and a lot of people are, you know, avoiding in-person voting, although a lot of people want to in-person vote. So um, I would think that what we probably want is for there to be a steady stream of voters showing up to early vote. And that goes for election day as well. So ideally you wouldn't have pockets of congestion on this day and then nobody showing up, you know, later on in the afternoon or, or the next day. I'm just wondering if there's any way, maybe some technology that can be used to kind of help voters to even out when they show up? Is there a way to say, hey, no, you know, typically it's light on Tuesday afternoon or something like that. I don't know, have you given any thought to that? I, I, you know what, and I remember last year in Columbia County, we had very strong participation in early voting, as you know, 
and we were really, really strong on our first two days, which was Saturday, Sunday, as it is this year. So we had, we had lines, and we never have lines in Columbia County, but we had lines for early voting, the first two days of early voting. So, you know, this being, well, you never want lines. You know, you want the turnout, but you don't want lines. And now with, you know, the COVID situation, you want it more evenly distributed. So you have any thoughts about that? Uh, thank you for raising that, that point. Um, so we have given this some thought. Uh, we don't really have the technology at the boards in-house to do it perfectly this year. Uh, but one thing we're trying to do is uh, have um, sort of a, a, a tracker on the social media of a given board. Uh, and I know NYDLC is going to be working on this too to tell people uh, the wait times at a given right. early voting site at yep. various times in the day. Uh, I think that's the kind of tool that we'd like. Uh, obviously, if I was able to get uh, a proactive pipeline with 62 boards, I would love to build that into Vote Early NY. I could tell people on the back end, uh, it is a very big challenge uh, to get this information from the boards uh, because there are election uh, deadlines in the law, uh, reporting requirements that the counties have to give information to the state. Um, I know from trying a hundred different ways that uh, even if you wait till after those deadlines, the state information uh, is not uh, current with what's going on in the counties. So that is a challenge. I mean, we really do have this desegregated system, uh, this uh, the dispersed system uh, where voters uh, are sort of at the mercy of their locality. Some localities have incredible programs. I mentioned earlier, Columbia had three early voting sites last year. Uh, I'm hearing now that there were some lines that makes it incredibly popular. Uh, they're down to one early voting site for this Saturday. So we'll see how that plays out. But as a policy matter, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and we hope they'll go back up in the fall. Uh, but another angle that uh, a commissioner raised um, that uh, with early voting now, the concept of souls to the polls or various collectives of groups uh, might be somewhere at a concert or something. And then there might be a push, okay, let's all go vote. Uh, so uh, this commissioner was asking, if you're gonna do that, and that's great, give us a call ahead of time so that we'll know. You'll, you'll be there in, during this hour, okay, so we'll send a few extra staffers to process those voters. Uh, and yes, a system like that does require more legwork of administrators. It's more, it's more hands-on. Doing things for disabled voters, it is more hands-on. Yes, that is more work there must be more funding coupled with that. But even at the county level, it doesn't have to be one size fits all. If the county has a college population, the way that early voting site is administered could look a little different uh, than some more far-flung location. Uh, and especially if you know you're gonna have various church groups, civic groups showing up, you could put in place a system where it's like, hey, if you're gonna bring your, your crew of people to come vote, give us a call ahead of time. So that's one option. I think uh, uh, wait times thing, uh, our colleagues at the League of Women Voters that have chapters in, in every village, uh, sometimes uh, they're well poised to be able to report, you know, hey, right now the early voting times are smaller, uh, are, are less at this given site. So if we could get to that level of, um, of, of layered technology, we would love to pump that out. And I'm thrilled to work with the state, the, the local boards on that, uh, whatever's viable. Actually, Dustin, uh, you've done some innovative stuff. Uh, what, are you, what are you hearing about that? How can we address wait times and encourage people to, to vote early. Yeah, I, I actually am I'm trying to do some stuff for this fall. I don't know if I'll get my county uh, to do it on our website. But one of the things that 
um, that we could do is, yeah, we say we have 62 different boards. And so there's a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, boards to get that information on. But we only have two or three different poll book vendors. And that's where this data is going to come from. It's not going to come necessarily from the boards. What we need to do is put some funding behind it, obviously, that's always number one, and then have some legislation that would uh, demand that the poll book vendors that are tra already track wait time, I get it, I have it on my desktop. I know where the wait times are on election day, on, on, on early voting, if you have electronic poll books that are out there, but you need electronic poll books for early voting, so you definitely know the wait times for early voting. Um, that data should be shared to a single choke point at, you know, at the state, at the state board, probably is the best place for that to go, and then broadcast out where, you know, and have some funding, and it wouldn't really even cost all that much, I don't think, because this is already data that they already have. It's just piping it into a single source, and, you know, whether it's Noink or 10X or Robus, they all track wait time in different ways, but they all have wait time. I, you know, when we were going through our decision-making process, and on a dog economy, because we did a full rollout of electronic poll books, we had them all come in and they all have these bells and whistles. So the boards have this information, but the individual boards themselves don't have the time, staffing, funding, or even sure. techno technology to translate that out. But the vendors do, and the vendors do it in other states. So we need to have a choke point in New York that and funding behind it where A, the vendors are have to be required to give this information, and then, um, then a website set up that would then broadcast that information out for the local boards. Um, and that way, it wouldn't be another requirement on the on, on the local boards. I'm I'm I would love to be able to broadcast my um, my my dashboard, uh, so to speak. Uh, you know that I get. Um, but it, it just it, it's not feasible because there are some proprietary things on there. And there are some, you know, things that I don't want anybody to see because, uh, you know, uh, we we do try to protect anonymity. We try to protect, uh, you know, a lot of things, you know, but we do, right now we give out the process voters, we give out the stats to the campaigns. Um, if we had a, uh, a statewide website that was pushing this from the vendors that who are already pushing it to us, so why wouldn't we push it uh, to a state board that could put that out there, that would be something that I think would be uh, uh, beneficial. That's a great insight. Uh, and since you mentioned data, um, to really modernize our voting system, just what I've learned uh, in the last 18 months trying to aggregate and package and publicize election data for the state, uh, we have a massive amount of modernization to do on the data side. Um, when they first uh, certified those vendors, uh, I was most concerned with civil rights. That's my background here. Uh, you know, these vendors, some of them are from Missouri. Um, they have very different laws there. They have voter ID laws. What, how, do our, how do the rights we have in our uh, election law, uh, our voting rights, how do those translate into any poll book uh, screens, right? A bunch of screens that a voter has to deal with. That was a concern of mine. Um, I went to a state board meeting when these were first approved, and I raised the data point, and I, I sort of said to them, well, so whose data is that? I mean, based on all of these, uh, the, the contract is directly with the county. 
Um, we've now sort of unleashed these three vendors on our state. They can go to localities, some of whom have two staffers and two part-time, and that's their board. Uh, they're, they're not, they don't have a technology, a CTO, or the kind of person that's there to evaluate data. I certainly have cybersecurity concerns when you get to layers and layers of technology. Yes, the state has been helpful with that, uh, but, but it's not as though the state board seems to have availed themselves of the gatekeeper ability to say, well, wait a second, before we give you this green light to go into the state, uh, we want to make sure that there is some data accountability. The, the thing you mentioned is something that would help voters a lot uh, from the voter protection standpoint. Um, I think the state board should know how many challenges are happening and where they're happening and, you know, what, what, what process is taking place in the counties after that. Uh, so in some sense, the, 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 the horse is out of the barn because these three vendors have been uh, given a lot of free reign. There was a certification process, but um, that's a very limited function. Uh, but there's always an opportunity to modernize our system through new legislation and regs. I hope to see one on data sometime soon. Yeah, I, I would love to see that too, because um, I'm a data guy myself, and I love, um, that's what I love about electronic poll books. I was an advocate for electronic poll books before early voting. You know, it, 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 everybody tied it to early voting, but I wanted it for election day, and, and having all of my 150, 170 sites knowing exactly what's happening, uh, it, it's modernized uh, my responses to the press, because when the press would call me on election day before and they say, how's turnout? I'm like, I don't know, you tell me, I'm not out there. I, I don't know how many people have voted. I won't know until uh, the cards come back at nine o'clock at night, but now at least I can check up by minute and say, oh yeah, you know, uh, uh, we're at 15% already and it's 10 a.m. You know, it looks like a good day. And, and, it, and you know, six years from now when I have a lot of data to check over time, I'll be able to really see um, you know, it really makes some predictions and where I have to send extra staff and stuff like that. So, um, well, you know, uh, before we end the call, um, I, you know, you're, you talked about voter protection and we got to talk about Georgia and, and some of the other things that we are seeing in other states. Um, and, you know, obviously, I think I actually like our system in New York. Obviously, I'm a part of it, so that you know that's part of it. But uh, I do believe that the the bipartisan commissioners uh, provide a check against things that like we see going on throughout uh, the country. But uh, you know, we do have our problems here in New York. So, what are you know what are some things that, that uh, voters and commissioners and uh, voting advocates can do to help? Um, you know, fight some of the voting suppression tactics that we see in New York and to keep uh, us from facing a Georgia-like meltdown on election day. So Georgia certainly uh, is a good uh, case in point for the flaws in the Secretary of State uh, election administration model, um, especially where you see Secretary of States running for governor, not recusing themselves from elections they're administering. Uh, to be honest, there are situations in New York that are different, but when you have a sheriff on a ballot and the sheriff's deputies are tasked with uh, keeping law and order in the poll sites, I question a system like that, frankly. Uh, but you do raise a good point. Um, uh, I think I chalk uh, some of the litany of problems that happen 
in and around elections. There's inadvertent problems that happen, which are just, uh, they're, they're administrative. There seems to be way too many of them, but some of those we've talked about, you reduce that systemic stress, you give people more time, better resourcing. Uh, some of those can be resolved and fixed. Then there's the intentional stuff. Uh, the political overlay in New York, when you, when you muddle those together, and it's sort of a fog of war, and it's very difficult to tell the difference between misfeasance, malfeasance. Uh, it's way too easy for some of those intentional manipulations to skate by, or for uh, you know uh, unintentional things that can be chalked up to, uh, we'll call it negligence, uh, to sort of be just thrown in the mix. So I think more time helps with that. Uh, I am concerned about a Georgia situation here. I'm curious to know how many voters submit uh, an absentee request by the 16th of June, and then for whatever reason, be it the post office, printer issues, mail issues, uh, just staffing issues, don't receive their ballot with any margin of time to complete it, get it back in the mail, uh, get it received by that brand new deadline of June 23rd uh, for, for um, postmark. Uh, and you know, then a, a chain of downstream problems with post-election canvas uh, related to that. So I have serious concerns because we do not have a modern election system with three ways to vote that's been built out uh, and funded properly. Uh, we're sort of building some of this plane right now while we're flying it. Um, and the legislature did come back. Uh, they did pass one bill uh, that at least for 2020 helps uh, uh, harmonize some of those deadlines. The one I mentioned, uh, return your completed mail ballot by June 23rd, postmark uh, June 23rd or in person, is it true, Dustin, any, any poll site or early voting site if a voter brings them uh, an absentee ballot? Uh, but they did not touch what happens at post-election canvas. Uh, that's an issue you and I have discussed in the past. Um, in New York is better than some states in the sense that there's several days to get those ballots in uh, once they've been mailed. At the top of this call, you mentioned we might not have results uh, until later than we're expecting. If there are close count contests that go to the paper, and there are more likely to be more of those given the new options. There will be more absentee ballots just as a result of everything we're dealing with uh, and a greater likelihood that during that post-election canvas, some of those dirty tricks that have existed on the margins because the absentee ballot law in New York was so narrow uh, may be uh, more impactful, may uh, infringe more voters. Uh, so I don't exactly know how that will play out, um, but between long lines, and absentee ballot issues, and a registration system that hasn't been updated. I'm not here to tell you that New York can't be Georgia. New York can be Georgia. This yeah, is a big I, problem, Dustin. And, and I think that's something that we have to fight against every day. Uh, and that's why I mean, I've always you know, felt like my role as commissioner, my role as an advocate before I was commissioner, was to get away from this is how we've always done it. Because you know this is how we've always done it led us to having the lever machines twenty years past their their the time that you could replace them, and you know and and having a primary that was so late in the calendar, um, and now that we moved it to June, I think a lot of people who didn't want to move it are glad that we moved it because we have more time to breathe. I couldn't imagine doing a primary with this many absentee ballots in a September primary and trying to get that turned around for a November election, um, you know, I, I don't think we would ever sleep. And, you know, I, I just checked my stats because I'm a stat guy. I'm up to 14,000 
absentee ballots in hand right now. And that's going to take me a long time. I do think the sheer volume is going to keep some of these nasty tricks from happening, mainly because, um, but I get worried mainly because they're inter-party stuff as opposed to the general election. But that New York 27 uh, election over in the West, uh, you know, you know, that special election is still happening and it's still uh, considered to be a tight race. And um, that could, you, we could see some long drawn out challenges there. I mean, Erie County saying the 100,000 absentee ballot requests, you know, so, you know, we may not know that until late July and, you know, certification deadline be damned, you know, so uh, it's going to be a a long haul here. Uh, Well, so um, I do want to take a moment and and thank you, Dustin Zarni, because uh, you do, you put yourself out there, uh, you think outside the box, it is never that's how we've always done it when it comes to the way you think about elections. And I want to thank you for that because um, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly important for election administrators who know this stuff better than anyone. I mean, I can study the law. I can talk to advocates. I can talk to administrators. I can try to be a numbers guy. But folks who don't work in elections every day can never understand the level of nuance and the challenge that you're grappling with, both from the funding perspective and the workflow perspective of all of this. Uh, whether it's getting a vendor to print ballots that have a date for a primary that's now moved several weeks, uh, that's been thrown off the ballot and then reinstated to the ballot. Uh, it's just an incredible amount of work. Um, so I do want to thank you for, uh, for doing things like this, for telling your voters about early voting, uh, and for shooting higher than just those minimums uh, in the law. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you, Jared. And thank you for being a a resource for us as well. And thank you for coming on the call. And, uh, you know, it's forgetting about our time here. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up. But is there anything else that you'd like to let the voters know, let the people know? Uh, your website, again, is voteearlynewyork.com, voteearlyny.com. There's absentee right. ballot information on there as well. Um, anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, end the call? Just mentioned that uh, June primaries are upon us. There's nine days of early voting. Starts this Saturday, ends next Sunday. Uh, Voters, June voters, have three ways to vote. You can vote by mail. You have to request one by the 16th. Fill it out, complete it, uh, get it in the mail by the 23rd, or drop it off at any early voting or election day poll site. Uh, Take advantage of your right to vote. Exercise that right to vote. It's incredibly important. I should mention that uh, because New York has closed primaries, you do have to be enrolled in a party having a primary to participate. So uh, if you didn't get one of those ballot requests in the mail and you're unaffiliated, uh, you might not be uh, eligible to vote in these June contests. Uh, but the fall is right behind us uh, and uh, or right after that. Uh, and we should just mention that every eligible voter is able to vote in the fall contest. So if you're not registered, get registered, check your status, uh, get your enrollments in for next time um, and uh, take advantage of one of those three ways to vote. Thank you, Jared, for coming on. I'm going to have you on later this fall so we can talk about how we're going to, how we did and what we're going to do better in the general election. So Real thank you do. again. Thank you for uh, Dr. Martin for coming on and asking a question. And, uh, uh, you know, this will be airing tomorrow on Friday. And if you haven't gotten out there, get your absentee ballot. If you're in Onondaga County, go to onvote.net. You can go to the New York State Board of Elections website to Uh, find out where your county and what information you need to do to get it. You can apply by email um, for the primary 
and uh, or you can call your board of elections as a, a thing that you can do right now too. So if you haven't applied yet or you haven't gotten your uh, uh, your your application your your um, your ballot and you've applied it was weeks ago or something like that, you may want to check on it, see what's going on. Thank you very much for coming on Zoom with Zarni, and I'll see you guys later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.